Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Boundaries podcast, a podcast where we interview faculty, students, staff, and alums of the Beyond Boundaries series of courses and the Beyond Boundaries program at Washington University in St. Louis. In this podcast, we aim to reach across the digital divide and highlight engaging stories told by Beyond Boundaries faculty and students at WashU and their ideas for future work and play. We hope to give you a window into what Beyond Boundaries is, featuring the next generation of interdisciplinary thinkers and collaborators whose aim is to leverage curiosity across disciplines in an effort to solve some of the most complex and challenging problems we face in the world today. My name is Rob Morgan, and I am the director of the Beyond Boundaries program at WashU and a teaching professor in the area of design and the performing arts department. Enjoy the show. My guest today is Tristram R. Kidder, or T.R. Kidder. He is the Edward S. and Teddy Macias Professor of and Chairman of the Department of Anthropology at Washington University in St. Louis. He received his PhD in anthropology at Harvard University and is an internationally recognized as an, act, and is an expert in environmental archaeology and the study of human effects on the environment. Um, Professor Kidder, thanks for being here today. Hey, Rob. Well, uh, thank you for having me, and I appreciate your inviting me to do this. Yeah, this is kind of great. It's, uh, it's given me an opportunity to really get to know our faculty a little bit better that I don't in sort of passing hallway conversations. Um, but as you know, this is a Beyond Boundaries podcast, and you teach a very popular, uh, co-teach a very popular Beyond Boundaries class with Professor Brent Williams from the School of Engineering, the McKelvey School of Engineering called Earth's Future. Um, and I'd love for you to have a chance for you to just talk about that class. Many of our students have taken it and enjoyed it. A um, little bit of background on it and maybe how it got started. Sure. I mean, the, so, so it's called, the, the, the long title is Earth's Future Causes and Consequences of Climate Change. And the idea of, of, of the course is really, um, we describe it as sort of an inch deep and a mile wide, which is that the, the objective is to really give students uh, an opportunity to do two things. One is to understand something about the basics of climate change. And so in, in the context of that, we divide the class into three sort of roughly thirds. Uh, you know, uh, one is the science of climate change. Two is how we know climates are changing. And third, what are the effects of climates on natural and human systems? And so we really sort of cover the the waterfront. It's um, it's a, it's a huge topic and we can't do justice to everything. So it's sort of a, a broad introductory course. And the idea is really to give, sense, give students a sense of, of what, what is encompassed by studies of climate change. And the second objective is to introduce the students uh, in their first semester of their first year to a whole variety of faculty across the university. So we have faculty from the Med School, from the Brown School of Social Work, from business, from uh, we've had people from law, we've had people um, in arts and sciences and engineering, and they come and they give uh, guest lectures and we use those as discussion platforms. And so a student who takes the course is going to come away not only knowing a whole lot, we hope, about climate change, but she'll also have a sense of what, who are the faculty who are teaching about this. So we think there's an advantage there that you, you know, if you take the course, you'll be able to say, oh, I, I heard that lecture from Professor Konecki in Earth and Planetary Sciences, and I really want to take her courses because that was a cool lecture. 
So in that sense, it's kind of very introductory in a number of ways. The uh, course uh, got started based on a series of discussions actually going way back, which is that unfortunately at, at the, for a while, WashU had no introductory climate class. Um, you know, I would have said a month ago that climate change is the most pressing issue in the world today. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> that's not quite that's not quite where we are, but it's right. still a pressing issue. You know, and and I think the the very contemporary moment exemplifies the fragility of the systems that connect humans and the environment together. And climate is certainly one of the very strong threads that ties or, or, or is untying us from from this natural world. Hmm. And so we really uh, wanted to develop some kind of introductory offering that would give people a sort of survey that would allow them then to jump into upper level courses. And so I'm an archaeologist and, you know, in one sense, what do I know about climate change? <laughs> but I know, you know, I, I know enough to be dangerous, and I, I'm very interested in the topic. I've studied it in, you know, in past contexts. And so I got to know Brent Williams, my co-conspirator in the class, um, through a series of uh, university meetings. And, and we just really talked, uh, talked a little bit about what we wanted to do, and he became willing to teach the class because his interests are in aerosol uh, engineering and looking at the effects of aerosol particles on the atmosphere, the environment, and the climate. And so it was kind of a, a really natural fit. And, you know, one of the great things I love about the course and I love about the whole bound, Beyond Boundaries concept is it allows us to cross boundaries. I mean, I, I you know, I love the course. I, I mean, I get to sit there and listen to Brent, who's a world-renowned, you know, atmospheric scientist, and I learn about this stuff, and I get to have Bill Powderly from Public Health, who's, you know, again, a world-renowned scholar talking about the effects, you know, public health effects of climate change. And, you know, and I, and, and I, and I get to have people like Joe Steensma, who is, again, from the Brown School, who is a, an entrepreneur talking about how, you know, leveraging various economic systems to uh, affect climate change. I mean, it's just this amazing opportunity to sort of see this diverse perspective on how we approach climate change. Yeah, yeah. How we think about uh, big, big problems, big challenges like climate change. Is there, are there any bigger? Maybe, maybe COVID-19, as you alluded to, has kind of changed that dynamic a little bit, but it's still Mother Nature doing its work on, on uh, we as animals, as, uh, as, as beings on the planet. But like you, I'm often excited about uh, I don't know the students fully understand two thirds of the time, roughly I'm in the audience, just like they are just uh, yeah. enjoying a, a guest speaking on what they do best, you know, and it's right. a, it's a real treat. And the class. You know, and, mm -hmm. oh, I was just going to say, well, one of the things that, that I find fascinating from all of this is, is the realization that, you, you know, we all sit in our own sort of position and see the world in a particular place. And I kind of, um, I, I love to to have my eyes open by a, a different way of seeing something. And, you know, our class isn't, um, and this is a good thing, and it, sometimes it makes me uncomfortable, but the fact is, is it's not, you know, this sort of monolithic view of of a particular topic. People bring different perspectives, and they're able to, they really open my eyes, and, and you know, 
the thing I love about you know, higher education and academics is, is simply that the complexities of perspectives are so amazing. And I learn so much. And it's like I now get to see the world in a different way. And I've taught the class. I think this is going to be our sixth or seventh year. And every year I come away with a whole new set of appreciations of the ideas and the subject matter and it's always evolving and it's, you know, and in that sense, it's just, it, you know, for me, it's like a new class every semester. So it's totally, right. I, I just get so excited by it. Yeah, myself as well. It's a, you, you begin to see kind of the 30,000 foot view above Wash U is sort of a, um, it's a community of experts. It's a community mm -hmm. of specialists and scholars. And it's so amazing to me to, to sort of realize that in the same general zip code, we've got these incredible scholars who I can call, I feel lucky and honored to call colleagues like yourself. Mm. So um, yeah, I was going to ask you how long you've been teaching it, six or seven years. I know it's been around for a while and it's taught every fall, if I'm not mistaken. Right. It's taught yeah. every fall. And the reason we do that is because it's, it's, a, it's that sort of good introduction to both the topic and the institution. And the other thing that I think is advantageous about it is um, one of the things we try very hard to do is to use the course as a way to help students connect to the community of interested people, not just scholarship, but like the Office of Sustainability. And we try to develop kind of a, 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 a broader network of opportunities for students so that as they go forward in their academic career and, and, and more importantly, maybe their, their sort of co-curricular career, they'll have at least some insights into, you know, internship opportunities and what are institutional opportunities and you know, right. we get someone like Bill Lowry to come in. He talks about the sustainability exchange and, yep. um, you know, so so it's not just sort of networking at the academic level. It's an attempt to really open the vista of, of what, you know, what opportunities are, are there for people to be engaged in these kinds of topics. Right, um, right. Because I think for, 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 for us, and it's very true, and it's an entirely legitimate critique, which is that the course isn't about solutions so much. And, you know, it can sometimes be a challenge because climate change can, can be a bummer. I mean, you know, it's, it, and, and, and it's a big problem, right? It's one of these problems that sometimes you tend to get overwhelmed with because it feels like, well, I can't make any change. And what we're trying to do is maybe it's too strong a word, but to empower students to find that they are their own sets of solutions and that mm -hmm. they can navigate these worlds, which are not just academic, they're, they're personal networks, they're networks through sororities and fraternities, they're through, you know, their athletic organizations, they're through their houses and residential units, they're through mm -hmm. clubs and things like that. And in this sense, you know, it, I, I like the whole idea because it, it, it presents a kind of actor, you know, mm -hmm. the university as a whole rather than the, the sum of its parts. Right, right. And I often find students don't, at least in their first year, maybe even their first two years, don't fully realize just the amazing resources that are out there that they can utilize everything from the Gebhardt Institute to uh, to to um, Bill Lowry and his uh, sustainability exchange, you know, they don't realize those exist. And for your right. class to give them exposure to those tools 
and ways to connect in their own individual way and unique way is just great. Yeah. So, we yeah. also, you know, in, in addition to the sort of lecture parts of the, the class also has discussion sections once a week. And some of them are led by graduate students. Some of them are led by undergraduate TAs who have taken the course before. And in both of those, you know, these are now small breakout groups of 15 or fewer. And there are opportunities, again, to, to now sort of get to know people better and and I think particularly by connecting to the graduate students and and the undergraduate the TAs the students get different insights you know and again it tends to be a more um sub academic if that makes any sense it's more about you know the how do we look at the world how do we connect how you know how are individual experiences then leveraged to enhance basically being a student, you know, it's, uh, so, so they're really, you know, it's, it's got all of these sort of parts to it that, that are there and students can take advantage of it. And of course, students can also not take advantage of it. You know, right. it's, there, there, this isn't something we're going to cram down your throat. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your own background. Like you are uh, one of many archaeologists in your family, is that right? Yeah, so I, I, uh, I, my, my grandfather received his PhD in archaeology in 1914, and my uncle, I think it was 1948, wow. and I got mine and my PhD in 1988. But in addition, so my grandmother was publishing in archaeology back in 1917, back when women weren't, you know, wow. supposed to be doing those kinds of things. She was. Yeah. A, she was an amazing woman who had a very strong influence on me and um amazing. you know so 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 i'm in the family business and and part of how <laughs> i got you know part of how i got to be an archaeologist it, it's there's you know i laugh at this but you know as an undergraduate i was somewhat aimless and and frankly i was not doing well and ended up being on academic probation mm-hmm. and had to get you know get some courses to to enhance my gpa as the mm-hmm. dean told me <laughs> and one of them was a, a a field school course in archaeology and it was one of these things that i just realized you know, I, I, I both love doing it and frankly, you know, one of the few things I know I'm good at is digging square straight holes and looking <laughs> through other people's garbage because that's kind of what I do. And, it, you know, but I mean, I laugh at it, but I, but I have, you know, it's, sure. it's the coolest job on earth because I, I get to play in the dirt. I love it. I get to be outside on a regular basis. I get to teach about all sorts of cool things and um and you know one of the things that I've really loved about my academic career is that it's boundless in the sense that I can study whatever I want. Anthropology is the study of humanity. It's uh-huh. I get to I can study anything from aardvarks to zoology <laughs> and if it t- attaches to humans I can do it. Right. And it means that I can learn about climate change and that I can study geology, which is something that I do also. And it, it, it means that the intellectual horizons I have are, are only bound by, you know, my own narrowness, not by opportunity or, or you know, chances to do things. And right. so, so I grew up as, a, as an archaeologist working in North America. And I'm, uh, you know, I am a reasonably an expert in, in archaeology of the American Southeast and particularly the Mississippi Valley. But in 2008, for instance, I got a chance to go to China somewhat on a, a whim, if you will. And <laughs> um, 
uh, ended up being able to spend the next 12, 13 years or whatever we are now, 10, 11 years um, wow. studying the archaeology of China. And some hmm. of this was, you know, totally cool because it meant I could reinvent myself. You know, yeah. I became a scholar of a completely different area, different time periods, different subject matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, that that's been great fun because, again, it's just expanded my interests. And, sure. and then I get to go to crazy places like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and, you know, all of these places where I just get to see the world and learn about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no better career. Right. And your your specifically your your um, research in China, it's exploring the relationship between humans and their environment. Is that a yeah. flat plane? Right. So, so, so when I was a, a graduate student way back in the day, you know, everybody always assumed that the environment affected humans and that, you know, our responses as cultures, as civilizations was sort of, you know, we responded to climate change. And mm-hmm. what we've been investigating and really pushing back on is this idea that um, humans had no effect on the environment. And in fact, our work in China is demonstrating very convincingly, well, I think convincingly at least, yeah. um, that in fact, f- beginning 5,000, 7,000 years ago, people started to actually have an effect on the physical environment so that they're transforming the land, they're transforming the rivers, they're transforming even the atmosphere mm. between 5,000 and 3,000 years ago. Yeah. And wow. so so this is really sort of now trying to understand that the environment does shape humans because we live in the environment. But at the same time, for quite a while, humans have been shaping the environment and this kind of um, I guess you could call it a dialectic, this this conversation, if you will, between the environment and humans, humans and the environment is really what shapes human history. It shapes the, you know, I talk about in China that it literally bends the arc of Chinese history because mm. what people do to the physical environment has really significant changes or transformative effects on human societies. It's not a one-way direction. It's it's a, this really complicated conversation or maybe better thought of is, you know, argument between humans and the environment because, you know, certainly in China, but we're finding this around the world. People were trying to get out of the environment things and the environment has been pushing back in its own way. And it's a, it's a fascinating and sometimes scary and sometimes really fast, you know, interesting way of looking at the world. Sure. Sure. And how has your research been affected by the by the pandemic situation that we're facing now? Well, yes. right now, pretty much everything is on hold. Right. I mean, we're we're not tra- you know we can't travel to China. Um, all of our research in China. I mean, you know, my Chinese colleagues who I work with certainly they've been on hold for mm-hmm. longer than we have, and in fact, they're just coming out of. Uh, you know what a three month basic lockdown, and mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, it's going to be very interesting for us here in the United States to kind of watch how the Chinese kind of reawaken from, you know, I'm sort of thinking about this as a, you know, we're all bears and have been hibernating, but I'm going to be fascinating to watch how they reawaken and the degree to which, um, you know, what, what is the new normal? And and the answer is we still don't know. And so right now, you know, my labs are shut down. My graduate students, you know, are dispersed in their homes. We're all, 
we're doing, you know, we're reading, we're writing, but we're not doing any novel research. We're not going to be doing any field work almost surely this summer. I, don't, I, I really don't think that that's likely to happen. Hmm. So at a, at a minimum, we're going to just take a, you know, take a three-month, six-month hiatus. I mean, you know, the good thing is, is that as much as I love what I do, you know, lives aren't at stake. We're not... Um, you know, we're not saving people or anything like that. And if we, if we go on pause for three to six months, it's not going to be the end of the world. Sure. And so I'm just trying to be, I guess, philosophical about it. And like everybody else, get through each and every day and sure. try to try to put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, I'm telling my students, basically, look, if you write a paragraph today, that's, that's progress. Cause <laughs> right. it's, well, it's a tough time. And I think it's a tough time for all of us. And, you know, one of the good things about this moment is it's a, it's an opportunity to reflect on what's important for us. And mm-hmm. some days writing that paragraph might be really the most important thing you can do. And then tomorrow, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree totally. I've, I've had some same sort of reflections about what's super important. What I used to think was important certainly no longer is. And, um, and it's sort of bringing into focus, you know, more family connections. My sister's a nurse. I'm in Dallas, I'm worried about her, you know, um, yeah. those types of things are, I don't know, it's a, uh, I I've, um, don't mean to get too somber about it, but it is, it does sort of refocus you in a way. Um, on a lighter note, I, I fell down a rabbit hole this morning doing some research on you and your uncle in particular used to host a TV show in the fifties uh, called yeah. what, what in the world? Yeah. And it, if I could try and describe it, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was actually quite fascinating. So it's a, it's a series of three experts in, in the field and a podium, basically, and an object, a museum curiosity of sorts that they have to guess what it is. And, uh, and your uncle used to host that show for 20 years, I understand. I don't know if it was 20, it was a while, it was, it was a while and, and, and this was, you know, it just goes to show you how TV has changed. This was like <laughs> the reality show of its time. I mean, it yeah. was actually quite popular and, and they had like the superstar luminaries of the archaeological world on it and things like that. I mean, it yeah. was, um, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, the idea was kind of, it, it's, it's a variant on what I'd call the stump the chump idea, <laughs> right. which is, you know, give people these things and these people who are experts and basically they have to come up with a story about what this object is mm-hmm. and it was um he was my uncle was a curator at the university of pennsylvania museum and they had lots of these odd things and and so it was a combination of um you know academic uh, approaches but also humor and sort of the art of storytelling which is the yeah. part i like about it Nice. I love how you used Stump the Chumps as a reference. Being a, being a kid from Massachusetts, if I understand, is that where you grew up? Uh, it was one of the places I yeah. grew up, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was fascinating, too. And I, being a set designer, I was, um, I think, at a certain um, juncture, I want to say early 50s, there was a new design of the set, and the they would reveal the object in a cloud of smoke. (laughs) Yeah, even then they had to come up with things to keep the audience engaged. Totally, totally. Um, But yeah, I found it kind of fascinating from my own discipline as well. Um, But you, I I also understand, have an IMDB reference. Um, You were, uh, let's see, I'm looking at it right now. It was 
a documentary in 2006 called Digging for the Truth. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about that? Oh, man. Or maybe you don't want to talk about that? Right, well, you know, this is one of these great embarrassments. So, so, so I was invited. There was, a, a, I think it was the History Channel had um, uh, a, a documentary called Digging for the Truth, and it was supposed to be about archaeology, but unfortunately the History Channel and embellishment are synonymous. <laughs> so it was, in one sense, one of these weird um, search for sort of alien ancestor kinds of stuff. I mean, some of it was just very, very silly, but they were doing a series on Native Americans and um, I was invited because I work at a site in northeast Louisiana called Poverty Point, which dates to about, um, uh, say, 1300, 1400 BC, and it's this gigantic site, and it's a very fascinating site, and um, they wanted to do a segment on that, and so they came down, and, and uh, the host of the show was a guy named Josh Bernstein, he's a lovely, lovely guy, and um, the, the director insisted that we... Um, uh, sort of do this scripted landing where he paddles down this bayou <laughs> and lands, <clears throat> and and the Poverty Point site is a state park, so it's manicured. And because that's not good TV, they found the one location on the site where which was covered by brambles and brushes and stuff like that. So I literally have to greet him as he paddles up the bayou, <laughs> and I give him a machete, and I say something like, you know, welcome to Poverty Point, here's a machete, now you have to lead the way, or so, you know, some <laughs> silliness. I mean, it was very, very weirdly staged. Yeah. So Josh, who was... Um, uh, you know, he was game for everything, and, and you know, he was, he's, you know, a wonderful guy. He grabs the machete, we sort of hack our way through the brambles, and we, we get to this point, and he puts his hand down on the ground and pushes himself up and levers himself onto, you know, high ground. And we get there, and the director says, cut, and then Josh looks at me, and he shakes his hand, and he goes, ow, man, and, 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 I looked down, and he had a bunch of fire ants on his hand, <laughs> and he had been bitten by a bunch of fire ants. And oh. then he looks at me, and he says, have you ever been bit by these? And I said, yeah, in fact, I had an anaphylactic reaction <laughs> to fire ants. And his eyes, and I said, what happens is, is that you start itching in your lymph nodes under your arms and in your groin. God. And his eyes got wide, and he just took off. I mean, without a word, <laughs> ran to his car. And it turns out, when in his day job was like running a survival school, <laughs> and he literally he grabs an EpiPen, and shoot, you know, gives himself an Epi uh, uh, shot, and right. he's in full anaphylactic reaction or shock. Sure. Well, I don't even know what the formal Six. term is. <laughs> So, you know, it's like 98 degrees in the heat oh of the summer of Louisiana. It's humid as hell. He's lying out in this park bench and, you know, he's swollen and, his, you know, he's sweating. And, and, it, it, and at the same time, the weird part about it was is that literally the, he, he's telling the cameraman, get a shot of this, get a shot of this. So the cameraman <laughs> is like six inches from his face. And, and, and Josh kind of beckons me over, and he, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's not far from it. He, he says, you know, I've been to, you know, down the Andes, I mean, down the Amazon in a canoe. I've climbed the mountains of the Andes. I've been to the heart of Ethiopia. And he looked at me and he says, and I'm going to effing die in Louisiana. <laughs> 
So the long story short is fortunately he didn't die. And right. we got him to the hospital eventually. And to his credit, the, the show goes on. And the next wow. day he uh, came and we finished the show off. <laughs> but I'll never forget that. And I'm going to effing die in Louisiana. I mean, so, yeah, that's my cameo in the, and why uh, I have an IMDb page. Yeah, I think it's also a perfect story treatment for a Simpsons episode of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. That's yeah, right. That sounds just we all become famous in our own ways. <laughs> nice. Well, it's been such a treat to talk to you, Professor uh, Kidder. It's been t such a such a treat to to get to know you a little bit better and have our students get to know you. I hope um, uh, they take your class, uh, Earth's Future, Global Climate Change class. Um, there's a longer title I think I've already forgotten, but, um, but they should look it up. Uh, any first year student, uh, as you know, can take it. So not just program students and beyond boundaries, but any first year student across all yep. four divisions can take it. So absolutely. Yeah, I hope uh, students enroll in the fall for that course. Absolutely. We look forward to it. It's, it, you know, the, the, the one thing about it is, is that it's, it, every class is a different class and um, you're, you'll definitely come away having learned something. And uh, we look forward to, to, to the class. We look forward to all the students and I'm really grateful to you and for everyone who's supporting Beyond Boundaries. It's, um, it's really an amazing opportunity and I'm oh, grateful thanks. for it. Well, I'm grateful for all of you, for your co my colleagues here that uh, are willing to be interviewed and up for a podcast. So thanks for your time. No problem. Take care. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye.